Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I'm so glad you're joining me here on the show. Uh, our heart here, our goal really on the Bible and Life is to provide what I call blue jeans theology. That is Bible teaching that is in the language of everyday life, in the context of everyday life, so that right there in where we live every day, we can actually walk with Jesus and follow Jesus every single day of our life. That's the heart. That's the goal. That's really what we're after. And in addition to the Bible and Life podcast, if you didn't know or hadn't heard about it yet, I have another podcast. It's a little bit different than a typical podcast uh, called The Listener's Commentary. It's The Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. And specifically what it is, is I'm creating really a commentary on the New Testament, much like a written commentary that just walks straight through books of the New Testament chunk by chunk, paragraph by paragraph, explaining what's going on, showing how it fits into the whole context of the book. And so I'm just guiding you through uh, individual books of the New Testament. So far, I have nine New Testament books done. I'm a little over halfway through the Gospel of Luke as well, and just working our way through that. Lord willing, in the next couple of years, we'll have the entire New Testament done in uh, an audio commentary fashion. And so if you're looking for, if you're reading through some books and you're just looking for guidance, man, the listener's commentary is a place to, to go. There's people that are using it for some small group Bible studies where they're just listening to, reading through, you know, a chunk or two and listening to the commentary on that, then getting together to discuss kind of what they're learning and how it applies to their life. And so if you have not checked out the listener's commentary, I would encourage you to do that. Um, there's a website for it, listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com. And if you just want to listen, you can uh, you can listen to it on wherever you listen to podcasts. So right where you're listening to this, you can check out the listener's commentary. Just search for the listener's commentary, and you should find it right there in your podcast player. Additionally, I am creating... Now, over the next couple months, I'm working on building out a members area for the commentary where there will be some additional resources, additional study notes, maybe other recordings or teachings, maybe sermons I've preached or other things I've found online that will be helpful. There will be some maybe some study notes. There will be some photos and pictures that bring the text of the Bible to life. There will be um Possibly, I'm work. One of the things I'm I'm looking at adding to that is some discussion questions or reflection questions that you can use for your own study. But also, if you're doing it in a small group Bible study or using it for discipleship or working through a book, there'll be some of that. So I'm going to be building all of that over the next couple months and just getting that really going. And then once I launch that, I'll be adding more stuff to it as we go. So that'll be on the uh, listeners' commentary website as well. So. If you have not checked out the commentary, nine New Testament books done for your study and to guide you through those, check that out at listenerscommentary.com. All right, today on the Bible in Life, we are going to just look at a really interesting story out of the Old Testament. We've kind of been walking through some things over the last few weeks from the Old Testament law. And there's this really interesting story in the book of Leviticus that makes us maybe scratch our head. It seems like, well, yeah, God was, I, I don't know, right? Like, and that's the story of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. The story actually is shocking and surprising in some regards, and yet it teaches us a very, 
very important lesson about God and about us as his people and about what it means to approach a holy God. And so let's look at this, Leviticus chapter 10. Here's what happens. Uh, it is the grand opening of the tabernacle. To set it in its narrative context, when we arrive at Leviticus 10, it's opening day or at least opening week for the tabernacle. We're having the grand opening celebration. The priests have just been ordained and prepared for their task, right? We've got all the instructions in the first handful of chapters of Leviticus for how to, how to offer sacrifices and all different sacrifices. And now it's launch day, right? We're launching the tabernacle. We're getting it all ready, ordaining the priest. So we come to Leviticus 10, and right there at the opening ceremonies for the tabernacle, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they're his two eldest sons, they are anointed as priests, and they're the ones who are going to carry out all the instructions that have been given both in Exodus as well as here in Leviticus, and will be given later in Leviticus. They're the ones that are supposed to do that. They've been set apart as priests. Um, well, here's what they do. They It says this, Leviticus chapter 10. Now, uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their respective fire pans. So they took their, their instruments for doing the incense offering. That's what they're going to do. They took their respective fire pans, put fire in them. So they put a live coal or some fire in them. They placed incense in on the fire for the incense offering, but it it, it wasn't the right incense. It wasn't the right formula. We, we're not told the exact details. Here's what we're told. And they offered strange fire before the Lord, contrary to what he had commanded them. They offered incense that was contrary to the very instructions and commands that God had given them. It's opening Day. It's the grand opening celebration of the tabernacle, and these two priests already go rogue and just decide, ah, it doesn't really matter. We can do whatever we want. They offer some sort of unauthorized incense before the Lord. Now, we don't know if the problem was that it was incense, you know, that was typically used for pagan worship, or, right, like we're not told specifically what was wrong with it. What we are told it is it was contrary to God's command, contrary to God's instructions. They just went rogue, and they did their own thing in offering the incense offering. Now, how is God going to respond to that? Well, here's what happens. Verse 2, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died there before the Lord. So here's grand opening of the tabernacle, and Aaron's two sons, freshly anointed as priests, given the instructions for how to carry out their, their duties, just decided to do their own thing, go rogue, and, and God executed them, killed them right there on the spot in the tabernacle before the Lord. They died there before the Lord. Um, that's surprising and shocking in some regards, isn't it? And it makes us wonder, wow, like what's going on and why did God do this, right? Um, and it seems like that's pretty extreme on God's part, right? And yet the, the explanation or the rationale given by Moses to Aaron is this in verse 3. 
it says this, the Lord, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And so what Moses is saying to Aaron is, look, the priests are consecrated. They're sanctified. They're set apart for their special tasks, right? They've got a high responsibility. And that high responsibility means they need to treat God in an honorable fashion. They need to honor him as holy. Like God is the true holy one. They are set apart as his priests. They can't just be doing their own thing. That God must be treated as holy. And they didn't do that. And so God can't be treated as ordinary, profane, common, right? God's commands can't be just treated as, ah, they don't really matter. We can do whatever we want. Um, and so they are, they, they are put to death because they showed flagrant disregard for God's commands. And God needed to drive home that point. I will be treated as holy. Now, put this into the whole context of Israel as a new nation, right? Like God is formed. They're at the base of Mount Sinai when this happens. New, you know, brand new tabernacle, just getting ready. Israel has been told that they are set apart as a kingdom of priests. And so what the priests are um, um, within Israel, Israel is among the nations, right? Like they represent God to the nations. They need, to, they need to have priests that are going to show them the seriousness of their responsibility and their vocation. They need priests that are going to model what it looks like to approach a holy God, that that's serious business. And we don't just go our own way, do our own thing. His commands really do matter, and he needs to be taken seriously. Um, and so God needed to drive home this point right there from the get-go. No, this is not how we act. This is not what we do. By those who approach me, I will be treated as holy before all the people. I will be honored. And so God drove home the point by putting to death Nadab and Abihu. Now, this isn't the only time this kind of thing happened. God actually did this thing at least on a couple other occasions. We see it, for example, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. In 1 Chronicles 13, we have a story about transporting the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, David has sought advice. He's sought feedback from the people. They have decided to move the Ark of the Covenant. And God had given specific instructions back in the law for how to transport the Ark. They weren't transporting it the way God instructed. Instead, they're, they're transporting it on an ox-drawn cart rather than carrying it on poles the way God had instructed them. And so here they are moving the ark of the Lord. David wants to do it to honor the Lord, but they're not following, again, the instructions or the commands, very clear commands and instructions that God had given. Well, as they're transporting the ark, it's, there's two men. Uh, who are leading the uh, ark along and kind of they're alongside of it as they transport it on this ox-strong cart. They come to a threshing floor. A threshing floor was a place where they would um, thresh the grain, right, break off the, the husk and all of that. So they come to the threshing floor. It's a hard-packed area, and it's uneven. As they are going on this ox-strong cart over this uneven ground, um, obviously, things get a little um, rocky there, and the cart begins to, or the Ark of the Covenant begins to wobble. 
Um, well, Uzzah puts out his hand on the Ark of the Covenant to stabilize it. And immediately, God strikes down Uzzah. Same sort of thing as we see with Nadab and Abihu. And it raises the question, well, why is that? Well, the reason, uh, the reason is that they're completely disregarding God's instruction, God's commands. And so David thinks he's doing this to honor the Lord, but he's not actually even following God's commands. And God is a holy God. And God, if he's given clear commands, he wants his name to be honored. And so David, uh, you know, they're having this parade. Everyone's celebrating before the ark. They're dancing, having a great time. And then, boom, Uzzah is killed in this moment. And David's actually angry um, at the Lord because his wrath had broken out, it says, against Uzzah. And yet, very much like in the case of Nadab and Abihu, they just completely disregarded the instructions of God. All right, well, maybe maybe it's just the Old Testament where God did this kind of stuff because, you know, it was the Old Testament, right? Well, no, that's not the case. We actually see the same sort of thing in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, 1 through 11, once again, we're very early on in church history. And so, it's a very early on in uh, Israelite history in Leviticus 10, we're actually entering into kind of a new stage with you know King David and moving the ark to Jerusalem and setting up things there. I mean, that was kind of the heart, the goal behind some of that. We were at a new stage there. Well, here in Acts 5, we're in a very new stage as well. It's very early on in uh, the history of the church, and the church is growing, right, and expanding. There is a, a movement of the Spirit among them that is compelling people to be generous. Wealthy people are actually selling off tracts of land and just depositing 100% of the money to the apostles so that the poor people can be taken care of and everyone's needs can be met. I mean, the Spirit is at work in the church creating this movement of generosity. Well, in Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, you have a husband and wife couple who essentially what they do is they look around and they're like, and they see, wow, like people are selling off land. They're giving all the money. It's taking care of people. What a blessing. We've got some land too, and we could sell it off. And then they come up with a plan to deceive everyone. Their plan basically boils down to they're going to sell off their piece of property and they're going to maybe, we don't know exact percentages, let's just guess, right? Say maybe they're going to give 60% and keep 40% of the property uh, proceeds for themselves. And it was totally within their rights to do that. They could have done that. They could have just given half of the money to the apostles, kept half for themselves, right, if they'd wanted to. But the problem was, was they only kept part, they kept part of the money for themselves, only gave part of the money to the apostles, but they lied and said they gave 100% of the money. Um, well, what happens? Read Acts 5, 1 through 11, and uh, Ananias, the husband, is the one who brings the money to Peter and the, and the apostles and says, here's 100% of the, the proceeds from the sale of our property too. Use it to take care of needy people. Peter um, knows somehow, prompting by the Spirit or whatever, he suspects at least that uh, there's some fishy business going on here, and Ananias isn't being honest, so he calls him out on it. Ananias confirms that it's 100%, and God strikes him down on the spot. Well, is his wife in on it or not? Well, 
Peter wants to know. So when she shows up a few hours later, he asks her, is this the price of the land that you sold? Oh, yeah, that's exactly the price. Boom. She actually dies right there as well. So Ananias and Sapphira both die in Acts chapter 5 because they lied to the apostles, that they lied to the whole church, not, not because they didn't give all of their money, but because they lied about the amount they gave, they were deceiving the church uh, for the sake of their own pride. And so they were hoping to have money and status and applause and all of that in church. And God put them to death right there early on. And it's really the same situation in Acts 5 as in Leviticus 10 and 1 Chronicles 13. God needed to make an example of Ananias and Sapphira. No, my spirit is compelling you to be generous. My spirit is compelling you to do this out of love and goodness for other people. And now you're going to, by your own self-will, you're going to do something that's going to mimic and and in in effect mock my spirit's work among you, that's not going to happen. And so God made an example of Ananias and Sapphira, just like he made an example of Nadab and Abihu, just like in the case of Uzzah. In all three of these cases, cases, the the situation is the same. Um, God is making the same point. He's not someone to be trifled with. God is holy, and his holiness must be taken seriously. And so As God's people, we so often emphasize God's grace, and rightly so, God's mercy, and rightly so, that sometimes we treat God's commands cavalierly. We treat God himself casually. And we really need to remember the words of Leviticus chapter 10, that by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Uh, Among all the people, I will be honored, that God's name must be honored. In fact, when we humble ourselves before God and we pray, say, like the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, God, I want your name to be treated as holy and honored as holy among all the peoples, and I want to be a part of treating that name as holy. And that's really the lesson of Leviticus chapter 10 and Acts chapter 5 is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And God um, uses these individuals really to make that point and to make an example that God's name needs to be treated as holy. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, as you read through that section, there is almost like a refrain to the story. After Ananias is put to death, It says, great fear came upon all those who heard about these things. And then after Sapphira was put to death, great fear came upon all the church. That there is a lesson about fearing God. Um, That God, God is, while gracious and merciful, compassionate, while he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, God is also holy. And God's name must be treated as holy. There's this fascinating little section in the the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis where uh, Lucy goes and meets with the beavers, and the beavers are going to take her, and they're they're going to and her they're going to go meet Aslan the lion, see if they can find Aslan the lion, and and you know the the kids are like, well, well, is he safe? And the beavers say, safe. No, he's not safe, I tell you, but he's good. And that's ultimately the lesson here is that God's not safe. He's not safe. He's holy, but he's also good. And we don't know 
the eternal state of these these individuals like their eternity could be safe and secure right we have no clue on that what we do know is god wanted the the church and god wanted israel to learn the lesson i need to be treated as holy you need if i've given clear instructions you need to follow them so treat me as holy and follow my commands that's the lesson of nadab and abihu that's the lesson of ananias and sapphira that's the lesson of uzzah on the threshing floor god is holy and among those who approach God and draw near to God, he needs to be treated as holy. And that's pretty challenging. Pretty challenging to me. I imagine it's probably pretty challenging to you. May we be a people who treat God as holy, who treat his name as holy, who honor him among the nations. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. If you are one of those who makes this ministry possible by financially supporting this ministry and this show. Thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there is a link down below to World Family Mission where you can donate. It's the generosity of people like you that make this ministry possible. So thanks a ton to each and every one of you who support the show. Pray for this show. May God bless you. I pray you have a good week in Jesus. I look forward to talking to you again next week.